Well, good morning and welcome to Cypress Bible Church. Uh, it has been somewhat of a chaotic week, hasn't it? But uh, for those of us who've gathered here and those who are watching via live stream right now, we declare that the Lord reigns, that He is God, and uh, He's the one who made us. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And so in times of uncertainty, uh, we rest on that firm foundation. And in times of, of struggle, those who are concerned and fearful, we point to the rock of our salvation. So let's gather today to bless the Lord who forgives all our sin and heals all our diseases. I invite you to stand and join me in this call to worship as we declare Psalm 95.6 to begin our time together. Read with me. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Let's declare his worth together. Let's sing this together. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone, I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. Sing this out. Ah. Uh-huh. 
can go ahead and take a seat for just a moment. Hear the word of God from Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy? to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom 
and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Stop the light from getting through. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Can we stand together? Is all creation groaning? Yes. Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone holy? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died, who ransomed the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor? Is he worthy of this? Does the Father truly love us? He does. And does the Spirit move among us? He does. Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves. He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. 
till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the soul offer you praise this morning. Amen. Welcome again as we have gathered to praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the, praise the Spirit, three in one. Uh, glad that you have joined us today. Uh, we had a similar size gathering at the first service and hundreds more joined us online as I assume uh, they are again at this moment. And uh, we together celebrate uh, the King of all kings and turn our attention to him today. Let me bring a few things to your attention. One is if you've received a bulletin on the way in, uh, this is an excellent guide to tell you what is not happening this week. So uh, check through that and say, this is probably not going to happen. Uh, for those things that are occurring this week, most of all of those have been uh, postponed or canceled. Uh, we sent out a church-wide email on Thursday with a lot of information in it. We sent out another one on Friday. If you didn't receive that, you can go to our website and uh, check out that information there. Um, one thing I want to particularly highlight is Community Sunday was scheduled for two weeks from today. On Community Sunday, uh, we generally have just one service so that we can join together, celebrate baptisms, and then uh, share a potluck lunch. Uh, what I know at this moment is that we are not going to share the potluck lunch, uh, and uh, otherwise we are still planning to go forward uh, with one service at 11 o'clock and uh, to celebrate baptisms. There are more than a dozen who are uh, planning, preparing to be baptized. Uh, all of that could change uh, in the next uh, little while, so please, as you know, things change day by day, so we'll try to keep you informed and up to date on uh, what's happening. One thing I can tell you is that I'm so thankful to our facilities team and others who have uh, worked hard to uh, uh, sanitize our uh, building. I, I think it's cleaner than it's been since the day we moved in here. So rest assured uh, that that has been well taken care of. Grateful for that. 
Uh, but uh, how we distribute communion this morning will change. Uh, we will not practice intinction today, uh, but later in the service you'll be invited to come forward to one of the tables. The elements are contained in cups that are stacked together, so take that stack of two cups and the, the uh, bread and the juice will be together and you can eat and drink as directed in memory of our Lord and uh, distribute then the cups in the receptacle provided. Give you more instruction on that later. Uh, also, we'll not collect the offering today. Uh, giving is part of our worship to our Lord, but uh, uh, we invite you, if you brought offering with you, to uh, uh, place that with one of the, the deacons. We'll be holding the offering bags at the door as you leave today and give in that way. And uh, as always, our online giving is available, as well as the option to text to give. So I encourage you to worship the Lord with your gifts uh, in those ways. Well, would you join me as I pray on behalf of all of us right now? Pray together. Lord of our lords, King of all kings, we honor you today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that uh, our focus, our thoughts, uh, the direction of our lives will be pointed towards you this morning, the one who is worthy of all praise. Uh, Lord, it is so good for us at all times to take our eyes off ourselves, our predicaments, and look to the, the one who created us, to recognize that we belong to you. So Lord, may that happen today as we offer you our praise, our, our adoration, our, our, our sins, and, and our gifts. And know, Lord, that you are the one who can bear all burdens, who forgives our iniquities who is sovereign in this universe. Lord, I pray today that you would be with our governing officials, that they would act with boldness to, uh, to reduce panic in our population, that they would act with boldness to produce solutions that uh, will work toward the end of this health care situation. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be your light in this time, that all of us who name the name of Jesus would be your people in the place that you've called us to be, that we would respond with love and encouragement and care for those you put in our sphere of influence, that we would shine the light of the gospel in any and every situation. Lord, Lord be with those who are vulnerable, those who, uh, because of age or illness, are particularly susceptible right now. Lord, I pray that you would be their comfort and peace, that you would uh, allow us to understand ways in which we can help those who are in need among us, that the love of Christ would be apparent in any and every situation. So Lord, uh, you're the reason that we gather here today. So speak to us, Lord, through your spirit. May we hear from you. May we direct our attention to you for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, won't you turn your attention to the screens for just a moment? When I was 14 years old, I was transferred to a new school. I felt empty. I was now in the search of finding something that would lift me up and fill in the hole in my life. My new friends introduced me to drugs and alcohol. The first time I got drunk, it was very apparent that I had found one thing that would make me feel happy and accepted. For the next 33 years, seldom a day passed 
that I wasn't on some kind of chemical, drug, or alcoholic concoction, simply to be able to tolerate my life. When I look back on the wreckage of my past, I see how dark my world was. On my own, I was unable to maintain a marriage. Four marriages, four divorces. Going into isolation from my two wonderful children. Basically, I hated being around people when I was sober. I was carrying so many insecurities, burdens for my failed relationships, and I trusted no one. I was placed in a jail cell seven times for overnight stays due to being under the influence of alcohol and or drugs. I had four driving accidents resulting from the alcohol and ambient blackouts. The last time I woke up in a hospital with tubes all over me, my children were in the hospital room with me. I realized that I definitely needed someone more powerful than me to straighten out my life. Still, it wasn't until I experienced yet another broken relationship that I fell to my knees and poured out my heart to God. I told God I cannot do this anymore on my own. I no longer want to live on my terms. I totally give my life over to Him to do with me as He chooses. I'm nothing without Him. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that I could be in the presence of Him here and eternally. From that moment on, God began to change my life. I felt led to read the Bible. What was really strange was that I could actually understand what I was reading. I had read the Bible before and I, before I was saved, and I could not understand any of it. Now I understand. Now I'm hungry to be close to God and to live by His direction. What is His direction? It's in the Bible, the manual for life. I'm now free from guilt and aware of how to defend myself from the sin of the world and the sin inside. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing but the blood Before I was saved, I believed in God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to be the director of the play and all of the people in it. Even the devil believes in Christ. I finally understood that it's not that I'm only to believe in Christ, but I'm to live through Christ as he lives in me and directs my thinking, decisions, and intuition. I thank God every day for sealing me in his kingdom. It's always through his unconditional love and grace that I'm able to be a part of this incredible, everlasting journey of new life. Let's worship the Lord for his amazing grace. Green. 
A few weeks ago, I got a call from a guy I had not heard from, had not talked to in decades. Uh, we went to college together and played basketball together. And I think our sophomore year, he transferred out. And I had not seen him talk to him in all of that time. And he said, hey, John, I'm in town. I'd love to get together with you if you're available. So we set a, a date on the week that he was going to be in town, and we had lunch together. And uh, it, it was great to... Uh, just get reacquainted with each other's lives. And we knew nothing about what had happened to each other in the intervening years. I won't tell you how many they were. And we reminisced and uh, uh, we reconnected. 
And after, you know, partway through lunch, he says, yeah, remember that prank that got pulled on me that destroyed my room? And, and I said, yeah. And uh, he said, boy, that was a mess, wasn't it? And, and, and I remembered the prank well. Uh, I thought, oh, no, uh, he hasn't forgiven me for that all these years. Uh, because what had happened was that in the, we'd filled up a 40-gallon uh, trash can full of water at 2 o'clock in the morning and leaned it against his door, knocked and ran away. And it destroyed his room and his prom tux, which was hanging right near there. And, and, and so he said, boy, those guys got in a lot of trouble, didn't they? And I said, yeah. I said, I, yeah, I, was, I was part of that. Did you remember that? I, I, it was part... I did two weeks of community service over that. Uh, did you forget? He says, oh, he said, oh I, I, I didn't realize. I didn't remember you were part of it. I'd forgotten all about it, which apparently he had not. But I was concerned for a while that uh, there had been this broken relationship uh, that had not been restored. Uh, that wasn't true. We were able to then continue to reminisce and reconnect, and we didn't need to reconcile. You know what it's like to reconcile with someone? It's the restoration of a relationship that was ruined. Uh, it is putting together what was broken again. Uh, like some folks I knew who were splitting up, they had signed the divorce papers already. They were starting to divide their assets and fight over custody of the children. But, but along with some of others of their friends, I sat down with them and begged them to confront their differences and to put aside their anger and to come together. And over time, that's exactly what happened. Suddenly, there was this restoration as uh, the, the couple asked for forgiveness. They tore up the divorce papers. They recommitted to their marriage. They reconciled and are still together to this day. Or like Linda and her son. A as a single mom, Linda struggled to raise this young man who became more and more rebellious. And in junior high, he got involved in alcohol and drugs. He, he skipped school constantly, stole from his mother. He was picked up by the police for petty crimes, and he, he defied, defied all of Linda's rules and broke every promise, and one day he just up and, and left, and for several years she did not know where her son was, and then she got a call that he'd been arrested, and uh, she went, Linda did, and bailed him out, and when they saw each other for the first time in years, uh, Linda held out her arms, and, and her son broke down, and and they hugged, and he begged for forgiveness. And, and years later, uh, the son told me this story, and he's a respected member of the community. He has a wife and children and a strong relationship with his mother. See, reconciliation between what was broken and ruined is a beautiful thing. What was separated is back together. What was wrong is forgiven. That's reconciliation. So we are in this series called Reasons to Rejoice, and we're focused on Romans chapter 5, the first 11 verses, because three times in those verses, the word, the Greek word kalkaomai is used, which, which is translated to rejoice. It's boasting about someone or something. And so we've seen three different reasons to rejoice in this, in this passage, uh, the, the, to, to boast in God. Uh, that's what this calls us to do. Uh, the first part of this series uh, called us to rejoice in hope. The hope of what God has in store for all those who love him. Last week, we saw that we are able, in, through Christ, to rejoice in suffering. And that word suffering uh, is one that's very general. It can, it can deal with the most traumatic things in our lives. 
grief and loss and pain to, to, to most trivial things of pressure in daily life, like you're out of toilet paper and the shelves of Costco are empty. So all of those things in between are the kinds of suffering and pressure that we can rejoice in, we can boast in God because of what God is accomplishing through that suffering if we endure, if we keep our eyes on him. Well, today we want to talk about the, the final reason to rejoice in this passage, and that is reconciliation. Uh, far greater than any type of human reconciliation is what God has done for us, bringing us together in Christ, bridging the gap, restoring what was ruined. Understand this, and it will transform your life. It will change your attitude and perspective about everything that you're going through. So it begins this way, chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, what I want to do as I read that passage is to point out to you four descriptions of the human condition, how this text defines who we are as people apart from God, and then look at what it says is true of God, how he responds to these descriptions of our human condition. So there are four descriptions here of who we are, the status of everyone apart from Christ, every person born in this world. Now, the first is that we are powerless. Powerless, the passage says. That is helpless to save yourself, that you're unable to escape from your sin and lostness. You're incapable of self-rescue. You can't do enough. You can't give enough. You can't try hard enough to change that. That's the human condition. You're powerless. Second, you're ungodly. You're ungodly. That is living as if God did not exist. Now, you can be a pretty good person. You can be very religious and remain ungodly. So you can live a long and normal life as if God did not exist. So apart from complete trust in Jesus, all of us are ungodly, living as if God did not exist. Third, sinners. That's not a word that people like to use to describe themselves, but that's what the Bible says, that we are sinners. That is, you keep missing the mark. The mark is God's perfection, his complete righteousness, and, and you try and you fail over and over again. You're always missing the bullseye. Your best is not good enough. You always fall short of perfection. Sin is not just the occasional mistake it's part of our nature. Sin is stuff we do and desire and imagine. Sin is the words we say, the ways that we feel and think, the good things that we refuse to do as well as the bad things we do do. We are sinners. We're sinners. Third description. We are, fourth rather, we are enemies. We're enemies of God. The best church-going, nice, moral person in the world is God's enemy. You say, well, that's not me. I might have some enemies. God is not on that list. I'm not that stupid. But that's how the Bible describes the human condition. Let me give you an example of how that might work. Imagine every morning as you open your door to leave for work or school or an appointment, 
that there was this beautifully wrapped package right in front of your door. It's like foil paper and ribbons, and it has your name written on it, your name on that beautiful package. And every morning, you just step over it. You ignore it. You pretend like it's not there. You just go on your way. And some mornings, you trip over it and you cuss a little because that package is there again with my name on it. You come home at night and it's still there. Sometimes when you've had a long and frustrating day, you you kick that package into the bushes or you step on it with muddy shoes. There it is again the next morning, all beautiful with your name on it. What you're doing is you're treating the gift giver like an enemy. Whatever that gift is, you're treating the gift giver like an enemy. And that's how we act as the enemy of God. God has offered us a way out of our powerless, ungodly, sinful condition. And that's a free gift, he calls it. And every day we ignore that gift. Every time we push it away, every time we continue to sin, we treat God as our enemy by ignoring his gift. That's who we are. That's the human condition, unworthy, undeserving of rescue. And so sin infects and distorts even what we think is good and beautiful. Those things that we're proud of, those things that we see ourselves, well, I'm better than most people at this. Those things are corrupted by sin. That's the human condition. Now look at God's response according to this passage. God responds in four ways. Here's the divine responses. First of all, God loved us. Verse 8. This happened, God's love happened while we were still sinners, it says. Now we like to think of ourselves as naturally lovable people. But see, if God only loved us when we're lovable, then when you stop being lovable, God would have to stop loving you. God loves us in spite of our unloveliness. That means that God is, God's love is sure and certain because it doesn't depend on anything you say or do. And, and we make this mistake of thinking that, well, God's going to love me if I pray enough, if I give enough, if I do enough. But his love is not based on anything from us. His love came before we had anything to offer. We love him only because he loved us first. That's first response. Second response is Jesus died for us. That while we were still powerless, Jesus died. It says that a couple times in this passage. Now, James Kidd was uh, visiting his son who was stationed at Fort Bragg in uh, North Carolina. They, they went off base to eat at an Italian restaurant the day he got there. And suddenly, as they're eating, a man burst into this restaurant and began shooting at random. Eleven people died that day, including James Kidd. He was shot in the back as he shielded his son from the gunfire. His wife said this about her husband. He was a good man, a good father, and a good husband. He died saving his son. What more can you say? Now, how many people would you be willing to die for? As this passage says, you know what? We might be able, willing to die for good people. Maybe. How many people are you willing to die for? Parent, spouse, very close friends, children? All of us would likely sign up to die for someone we love, people we greatly admire. But the circle is probably rather small. And to be honest, there there are probably many people that you care deeply about, but you're not sure you're ready to take a bullet in the back for them. But Jesus died for those who were sinners, enemies, ungodly. He gave his life not for the righteous Not for the people who had it all together, but for unrighteous people who are an absolute mess. That's God's response. Third, 
divine response. Christ's blood justified us. That's verse 9. That, that through Jesus' death, we are justified, declared not guilty before God. His blood paid the price for our crimes. And that means, according to this passage, we're now saved from the wrath of God. No child of God can ever go to hell. We're not only saved right now, we're saved forever. So how can we be sure we'll never go to hell if our trust is in Jesus? Because God's wrath, God's punishment against sin, uh, Jesus took on the cross for them. That's the gift of God. Receive that and you escape the wrath of God. Those who have placed full trust in Jesus uh, will never face God's wrath. It's impossible for a child of God to ever go to hell. Jesus went there for us. And that's what it means to be justified. You're declared not guilty in the sight of God because of the blood of Jesus. Fourth divine response is that God reconciled us. That when we were on opposite sides, Jesus died anyway, spanning the gap. The word reconciled here, kataluso, means it's also in, it's in the passive tense, by the way. Which means it's not something that we did. It's something God did for us. We're passive in this. God acted to reconcile. We didn't act to reconcile with God. God has done that. Jesus died spanning the gap between us, and only through Jesus can sinful people be accepted by a holy God. That's why Jesus said, whoever believes has crossed over from death to life. That's John 5.24. He's the only bridge to the Father, and he did that while we were still enemies. So verse 10 asks, if he did that, if he reconciled us, if he acted to reconcile us and love us while we're still enemies, how much more will he do now that we're reconciled? So for those of you whose trust is in Jesus, that's something that needs to go through your mind every single day. If God did this for us while we're enemies, now that I'm reconciled to God through Christ, how much more will he do? He will keep you. He will stay with you. He will never leave you. He will see you through the end. Now some of you, are struggling. I know this just from my own experience. Uh, through this week, I have, I have talked with numbers of you who are struggling and, and in pain and hurting for a variety of reasons. I've prayed with you. I've prayed for you. And I know that that number of people who are struggling is far greater than those who contacted me. But let me assure you again today that if your trust is in Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Your Savior lives to, to connect you to the Father, to be your advocate, the throne room of heaven. You were once an enemy, separated from God, but now through Christ you are reconciled now and forever. And that brings us to this final reason to rejoice. Here it is, verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is what we have to boast about. These are our bragging rights. This is our cause for excessive celebration. We were nothing, and God loved us anyway. We were far away from him, enemies, but he bridged the gap. We're together, God and sinner reconciled. As one writer puts it, here's the gospel. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe. You are more loved than you ever dared hope. So there are two sides to this that I want you to consider. The sides are that you are sinful and that you are loved. 
Think about that for a moment. You know, people try to do all sorts of things to try and make themselves feel better. When you feel unloved, unwanted, unattractive, uncertain, uninspired, unappreciated, you, you might try to improve your self-esteem and, and think positively. You know, I'm good enough, I, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And you try to change your thinking in that way. But God gives you an entirely different message. He says you and I are powerless. We're ungodly. We're sinners. We're his enemies. And that sounds so negative. It's so opposite of what our culture recommends. And really, that's not how most folks really see themselves. I mean, sure, there are times you don't feel good about yourself. But most of the time, I mean, honestly, you see yourself as at least average. I mean, after all, you can look around and see people way worse than you. So you feel good about that. But God makes it clear he doesn't grade on a curve, that there is no average, that you're not in the middle. God says yours is not just a little problem. You aren't pretty close to being good enough. You aren't tilting the scales toward mostly good. No, you're more sinful than you ever dared believe. Now that's really bad news. That's God's message to the world. But of course that's followed up with the really good news. The promise of God through Christ says that you are more loved than you ever dared hope. Now let me ta- tell you why both of those truths are so important. And how, as you understand both of those truths, it will increase your joy. When I go off to work in a day and I come back home and uh, maybe, whether it's been nine hours or 15 hours and, and uh, greet Amy and Good to see her again. Now there's no dog anymore to greet me. It's a little sad. The daughters are gone. That's sad. But Amy, we greet each other, and it's, honey, how you doing? How's your day? Now when that separation's been longer than a few hours, it's different. I mean, she was just away for a week, and I went to the airport and picked her up, and, and it was so, I'm so anxious to see her again. And, you know, the, the hug would be tighter, and the kiss would be longer, and the greeting would be more enthusiastic. Now, I made sure that she was disinfected first, but I still was happy to see her. And then those times we've been separated for longer than that, weeks and weeks, I was realizing that 2005, this month, my dad died, age 69. So 15 years it's been since I talked with him. 15 years since I heard his voice. 15 years since we communicated. The years that seems not that long ago and yet an eternity ago. And I, I miss him. I would love to talk with him. And the, the, the assurance, though, is that there will be a reunion one day. Because my dad knew Jesus, and I know Jesus. And, and so some point, we're going to be reunited and, and get together again. And, and it might be 15 years from now or 15 months from now or 15 minutes from now. I don't know when it will be, but, but someday we'll be together. Now, I think our reunion is going to be completely overshadowed at first by that opportunity of seeing my Savior face to face. But there's going to be a great reunion And I'm sure that there are loved ones that you look forward to reuniting with as well. My point is this. The greater the gap of separation, the greater the joy of reconciliation. 
Understand why this is important. For you to rejoice in reconciliation, it's crucial you appreciate all over again just how far you were from God. And the more you understand your lostness, your sinfulness, your ungodliness apart from Christ, the more you will boast and brag and rejoice over the love of God. The more you understand how far God had to go, how much he had to pay, how great the sacrifice, the more you will rejoice. And so you will be able, as you understand that great gap he has bridged, that you in worship will be able to celebrate the love of God. You will honor him for what he has done, above and beyond all that you could ask or imagine. And you will delight in your status as his child. And it's not because you're so deserving and so lovable, but because he loved you even while you were still his enemy. And if you've been ignoring, if you've been stepping over the gift of God, don't let today pass without receiving what he offers through Jesus. Following this service, I'd be happy to talk with you. Another pastor, one of our elders, would be happy to talk with you. But the reality is that many of you, if not most of you in this room, have been reconciled to God through Jesus. You've already been justified by the blood, the sacrifice of the Son. And so you know this reality, that you are more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you are more loved than you ever dared hope. Brennan Manning shared the amazing story about how he got the name Brennan. Grow up in Brooklyn with his best friend, Ray Brennan. The two of them did everything together. They bought a car together as teenagers. They double dated together. They went to school together. They enlisted in the army together. They went to boot camp together. They fought on the front lines together. And one night as they were sitting in a foxhole just talking, Ray was eating a chocolate bar And suddenly a live grenade dropped into the foxhole. Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on that live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray. But Brennan's life was spared. And so, in honor of his friend Ray, Brennan took Ray's last name as his first name from that time on. Uh, Some years later, Brennan went to visit Ray's mother, and they were having tea when Brennan asked her, Do you think Ray loved me? Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch. She shook her finger in front of Brennan's face, and she shouted, What more could he have done for you? Brennan says it was at that moment that helped him to understand the love of God. It It was like standing in front of the cross of Jesus wondering, Does God really love me? And the answer is, What more could he have done for you? See, the cross of Jesus is God's way of doing all he could for us. And every time we wonder, does God really love me? Am I important to God? Does God care about what I'm going through? The cross answers yes. We need that reminder. We need to celebrate and boast in what God has done for us today. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to go to one of the tables near you. There you will find in those trays... Uh, Two cups stacked on top of the other. One has the bread, the other the juice. And and as when you are ready, and I invite you forward, to go to that table and eat and drink in memory of the one who gave all for you. You can, after eating and drinking, dispose of the cups in the receptacle near the table, but, but use those moments to boast in God. Use those moments to realize all over again how far you were, how great the separation, how great the gulf between you and God. 
and how great the love that God would span that gap and reconcile you to himself through the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you loved us first. And your love beyond our understanding, so great in the sacrifice of your son. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence with us now, uh, that, that you are living in all of us who believe. We are temples of God. We thank you for your empowering us, for guaranteeing what has been accomplished by the cross. So now, Lord, as we eat and drink, may we do so with great consideration, great celebration, great thanksgiving and awe that you have accomplished for us what we could never do for ourselves. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As you are ready, come to the table and eat and drink.
I'll be available here at the front to, if you'd like to just greet me or if you have something over which I can pray and encourage you, uh, you're welcome to uh, do that today. Would you stand and receive this benediction from 2 Corinthians? Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.